Welcome to Fireside Breakdowns. I'm John. And I'm Robin. Together, we research and break down complex and even controversial topics facing our society. We always aim to bring you honest analysis, backed by research, to skew our bias towards what can be factually supported, and to make it clear when we're giving our opinion versus speaking about actual research. We're human. We have blind spots and biases, and they will show through. However, our goal isn't to convince you to think or see things our way. We want to build a foundational understanding of these complicated topics so that we can address them together. We talk about some pretty heavy stuff on this show, and we tackle topics that might feel polarizing. But we do that because we have an important goal in mind. We want to change the way that people have hard conversations. And we think that we can do that using research and discussion to create common understanding. And since you're here, we hope that you want the same thing. So we suggest getting comfortable and maybe having a good drink on hand as we work through this stuff. Welcome to our fireside. started dancing way too early because I was reading through the lyrics. Yeah. So this is the week that Robin found out that I, John, am so considerably behind the musical times that you cannot tell if I'm joking when I say that I just discovered something. (laughs) If I'm like trying to be cool. Yeah. No, No. I, I legitimately thought I was being trolled because, well, it's not just like any song, right? It's not like, oh, I just discovered Ariana Grande or whatever. No, this is literally Dance Monkey, because we put a dance-themed song in the episode every week, just, I don't know, for some weird reason, and... I don't know, I don't remember why it started, but I love it, yeah. And and he was like, I found the perfect song for the dance jam this week, and it was Dance Monkey, and I was like, ha ha ha, super funny, and... (laughs) She was like, great trolling, I was like, what trolling? I'm like, it it was the most memed song of 2019. (laughs) I mean, it's a bar. It's catchy. I'm, it's so fun. I listened to it on repeat for a solid portion of this of the research uh, part that we did for this, um, because ADHD. Yeah. Uh, but uh, okay. yeah, yeah. So, I mean, like I told Robin, I didn't discover Depeche Mode until like 2011 or 2012, and I was like, this band's great, and they're definitely from 80s several decades ago Mm -hmm. but john the revelator isn't a fantastic song definitely got hooked on that kicks ass but yeah anyway Anyway. okay let's let's uh address a concept i think it's about time that we've talked about uh repeatedly on this show for the past two years um no not not systemic racism and not bias either and Okay, not cognitive dissonance either. We really have a lot of recurring ideas that we talk about on this show. It's crazy. It's almost like they continually pop up in the problems and divisiveness that we have in this country. Weird. Um, What we are going to talk about this time is arguing. Specifically, arguing in bad faith. We usually bring up bad faith arguments when it comes to political things. Politicians are really good at making bad faith arguments, especially when they're on the news or on the campaign trail. We've also seen several bad faith arguments come from news personalities or celebrities or 
billionaires with large Twitter followings. But just like bias, bad faith arguments aren't the sole purview of the various talking heads we encounter in our world. Most likely, you have made several bad faith arguments in the course of your life. We definitely have. We've probably made some on the show. Yeah. Um, it's, it's just a bad practice, and it's very easy to fall into it, especially when you are motivated in some way to want something you believe in to be true. However, as nice as it might feel to <laughs> argue in bad faith, and it sure does, it isn't a very productive way to reach an agreement. Yeah. In recent days, you've probably heard a lot of talk from folks on every political side accusing the other side of making these bad faith arguments to gain political favor or secure votes for the upcoming midterm election. But nobody ever takes the time to explain why they're making that claim. I mean, how are you supposed to recognize these outrageous fallacies if no one will tell you how they work? Knowledge is power, people, and we're here to make you really damn powerful. Yes. So in this episode, we're going to talk about what exactly good faith and bad faith arguments are and why debating in bad faith is so harmful to actual progress. And then we'll work through some examples of the bad faith arguments that make the rounds after every new spate of mass shootings. The recent tragedies at Uvalde and Buffalo and Tulsa have proven to be no different than any other shootings in this regard. Everyone's throwing around these statements. So we'll talk about why these popular refrains fit the category of bad faith arguments. And then we'll even outline some good faith talking points on both sides that you could use if you wanted to have one of these hard conversations with somebody who might disagree with you. So let's talk very quickly about arguing itself, because we've used that word or a derivative of the word like 13 or more times uh, already in this episode. <laughs> we're a, a solid like we're like five minutes in. So, yeah, it's going to come up a lot. So we want to make it clear what we're actually talking about here. Um, what does it mean when we use that word arguing in this episode? When we're talking about arguing today, we're using the word argument in a rhetorical context. Uh, we're not talking about like yelling at your sibling or, you know, fighting with your boss over something. This is a tool that a person uses in their efforts to speak or to write effectively. Rhetoric involves study. It employs specific tools and tactics, and it follows some common procedures. It is a practice. So when we talk about an argument in this context, we're talking about using these tools of effective communication to advance a specific position related to the subject at hand. In this case, we're talking about uh, gun safety laws. We should also clarify that there are different types of arguments within this rhetorical box. This isn't an episode on the ins and outs of rhetoric or philosophical discussion, though, so we're going to oversimplify the concept here for a minute. For the purposes of this part of our conversation, we need to distinguish between philosophical argumentation and persuasive argumentation. Philosophical argumentation aims to establish the truth of a claim or the most truthfulness that a person can get to. The goal is to convincingly present the evidence that you believe validates your position. Persuasive argumentation just aims to convince the other party that your position is valid or right regardless of its objective truth. Which sounds very similar if like in a vacuum. It's a, it's a <laughs> right. 
arbitrary line kind of in 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 the end the goal is to get people to believe you but the most useful distinction here between between philosophical argumentation and persuasive argumentation is why is this rhetoric happening what is the impetus that drives the rhetoric are you trying to present the most truthful defense of your argument or are you trying to win using the most convincing tactics available? And sometimes, as Robin and I have learned, pre presenting just the most truthful take that you can isn't the most convincing tactic mm -hmm. that you can use, which is a flaw in humanity in general, <laughs> frankly. In my but opinion. It is, it, is, it is true. It is true. Um, these are very different processes. Philosophical argumentation, um, making the best case that you can for your position, it essentially requires arguing in good faith. That is it's like a prerequisite. Persuasive argumentation, with its goal of being the most convincing, doesn't. So to our earlier point, because most of the political rhetoric we encounter is based in persuasion, that's one place we're highly likely to encounter bad faith arguments. Oh, yes. But before we get into bad faith arguments, let's talk a bit about what a good faith argument is. First and foremost, if you're going to make your case in good faith, both parties need to agree on the terms on which they're engaging. To most people, this probably sounds like a rational discussion between adults. All the cards are on the table and both parties have clear expectations of what their counterparts' intentions are. This means establishing shared definitions of key terms or concepts, agreeing on what kind of information to use, and being open about any conflicts of interest, personal connections, or bias that you might have. These types of discussions usually feature parties that are honest, respectful of the other person's dignity, follow broadly accepted norms of social interaction, and actually want to hear and understand the other person's perspective on a given topic. Each participant does their best to represent logical and accurate information about their position, and the other party listens with the intent to absorb, analyze, and respond. Which is really hard. Yes. <laughs> whether, so whether or not uh, a person is arguing in good faith, it has nothing to do with the objective accuracy of their argument. They can be completely wrong. Mm -hmm with their claims and still be arguing in good faith. It's a really difficult concept to get your head around because we, again, have this shortcut, a mental, I think, uh, bias mm -hmm. towards assuming that arguing genuinely and trying to find an answer assumes that you are correct in making your argument, right? That being correct is the only way to have like that sort of objective belief and truth and desire to want to reach a, a conclusion. Um, we, we kind of simplify good and bad faith arguments as being true and false arguments. So if you're like making a true argument, it's a good faith. And if you're making a false argument, it's bad faith. And that's just not, how it is no. at all. In fact, <clears throat> you can even argue a correct and valid point in bad faith. Oh, yes. 
And you can you so can argue is, something that is demonstrably and obviously false in good faith. There are many people who argue that the earth is flat in good faith. Mm -hmm. They like they actually truly want to reach a resolution and an answer. Yeah. <laughs> just they just can't. So anyway, I'm sorry. We are in we're on a tangent here. Um <laughs> Those factors, truth and and fiction, right, do have their place, and you can't deny that. Um, if the goal of a good faith argument is to make the best truthful and logical case you can, having incorrect information can really like <laughs> really puts a damper on the conversation. Um, but that's not really the essence of what makes a good or bad faith debate. Intention and behavior are the bottom line. Again, going back to flat earth, like you can only represent accurately what you believe. Mm -hmm. And if you are trying to present the facts as you see them and understand them to the best of your ability without trying to obfuscate anything about what you believe and understand, you are arguing in good faith. Good faith discussions don't always look the same, though. They're not always rational discussions or apparently rational discussions. Sometimes, though, it means it means groups of people working together to find a solution or a resolution that they both agree with. Sometimes it's two people with completely different perspectives that may never align, but who recognize the dignity and value of the person on the other side of the argument. Participants in a good faith discussion view the person on the other side of the discussion as just that, a person. They are fully fledged and possessed of autonomy and independence and good and true intent and with the right to have their own opinions and derive their own conclusions. When you're in a good faith discussion, the goal isn't to win. The goal is to get to the best answer. You want the other person or the other side, the other group, whatever, to have a good outcome as well. I mean, that's, that's what we try to do here on every episode. Though admittedly, we're at a disadvantage because we don't usually have another person on the other side to take the counterpoint. But we do our best to consider opposing perspectives with the understanding that the people who hold that view are whole people with hopes and fears and worries and deeply held beliefs that influence how they approach a conversation. If you pay attention, you'll hear it pretty often. We always try to point out that we're not attacking the people who hold whatever belief it is that we're addressing. They're not objectively bad people, even if their ideas are harmful or inaccurate. And when we're researching, we try to make the least biased and most accurate case for the opposing view because we want our points to address the best arguments that the other side could make. Sometimes that means we encounter information that we wish weren't true because it directly challenges an assumption that we've made or a viewpoint that we wanted to advocate for. But that's exactly the point of a good faith discussion. It creates the best outcomes because those involved are more invested in the truth than they are in their own ideas. But here's the challenge. <laughs> the more charged or fraught the topic becomes, the more difficult it can be to have a, a really... Uh, the more difficult it can be to really have a conversation in good faith. When we feel very strongly about something, we're more likely to be confident that our perspective is the most correct one. 
if we feel like we're losing ground to a position that is incorrect, we may be more willing to move to a purely persuasive stance where truth and dignity and shared benefit take a back seat. We're going to get shouty and and oversimplify things. Yeah. Yeah. It, that's when you start to hear things like, well, that's stupid. Right. Or, well, you're stupid. Right. That ad hominem, like, oh, I can't challenge your argument, so I'm just going to challenge you. Right. Sort of mentality. Oh, it's hard. Uh, going, yeah, it's so hard. Uh, and like, so <laughs> nobody exists in a state of being purely good faith all the oh, time. God, no. Like it's 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 one of those things that you have to actively choose mm-hmm. and re-choose and re-choose over and over and over again because it's so easy to get frustrated going back to when we were talking about like when we encounter information that contradicts an assumption we had made. Oh, 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 that's so hard. I hate putting that stuff in shows because like, <laughs> I don't want it to be true. Right. You know, it's like, it, it makes mm, it makes me frustrated just to think about it because I like nobody likes being wrong. No. Um, but this is another issue that every human on the planet really needs to get over. Um, there's really nothing wrong with being wrong as long as you accept evidence to the contrary and like are willing to change your your wrongness, yeah. your opinion whenever there's something convincing. And so that's, you know, we get practice in it pretty much every week when we're writing a topic and we're like, oh, uh, well, okay, that's not true. Delete this entire uh, point that we thought we were going to make and rewrite it entirely to be uh, more reflective of of the research we found. Um, But like, that's what we do. And and it just came up today in, in discussion on social media. That's, I just, I definitely just stole a line that I used on on Facebook from the Fireside Breakdowns account and put it here in the in the episode because I was pretty proud of it. I'm not going to lie. So, yeah, this is this is this is a hard thing to do. Mm -hmm. And and maintaining that good faith. Discussion mentality is is something that we hope listening to this episode enables you to do better. Yeah. Enables you to. Uh, recognize when you're slipping out of it a little better and it's going to be hard and it's going to be humbling when you realize, ah, (laughs) I am wrong and I have completely lost sight of why I'm in this conversation. Oh, yes. Um, Got myself some gut checks this week specifically because, well, I think I've talked about on on the show before, um, my company has a Slack channel that is purely for discussion of these like hot take topics, right? It's for these kind of really big, intense discussions, but the premise is the whole idea is predicated that you will come to this and have these conversations in good faith. And so as I'm researching and writing for this episode, we were discussing, uh, well, the hearing that aired last night on the January 6th insurrection and a documentary about what it means to be a woman and how, how can we objectively find a woman and, um, And, you know, conversations like that, like whether or not it's okay to take children to drag shows, um, whether or not the United States is headed toward another civil war, like these are conversations that we're having. And and as someone who has practiced in this kind of research and making these kinds of points, um, I have to check myself all of the time to make sure that I'm not just using information 
in a in a weaponized way that I'm making good faith arguments and that I'm actually coming to the table trying to hear my coworkers' concerns and thoughts and feelings and acknowledging that they are a whole person with a right to their own opinion. And that's really hard to do. Yeah. And that I actually experienced, I had a similar situation today at, at my job. We do not have a Slack channel <laughs> where we discuss these things because that would be very bad um, in our particular line of work. Um, but we were discussing inflation. We were discussing uh, the the printing of money and and uh, COVID and like what is driving the inflation that we're experiencing right now. Um, if you're interested in a discussion about inflation, we have a whole episode about it. Spoiler: We're still not Venezuela, Venezuela and we probably won't be. Um, but I was bringing up a lot of the points that we had researched in that episode, and I had to really slow down my communication to make sure that when I was talking, I was like trying to reach a, a, a mutually satisfying answer and not just trying to shut these people down. Mm -hmm. um, because when I first jumped in, they were expressing some things that were talking points of a Fox basically, you know? Um, and also not, not, not all of that. There was some um, just general uh, like, Oh, how, how could we print, they said 80% of the of US dollars that are in circulation right now were printed within the last couple of years. I don't think it's quite that high. It is an astronomical amount. Like, how can we do that without thinking or without realizing that that's going to drive inflation? And, you know, I was trying to get into an actual meaningful conversation because I don't know either. And I had to recognize that I don't know the answer to it mm -hmm. and provide that, that, uh, that perspective. And it changes conversations. It changes your discussions too. Um, some people get frustrated when you <laughs> argue in good faith because they want to have a bad faith argument. They yeah. want to have a fight. They just want to like attack each other over and over and over again. And, and like they don't want to view you, their opponent, as a whole human being with a whole life of experience and a constellation of factors that affect how they think right um so it's it's just it's it while probably ethically it is better to continue to try to argue in in good faith all the time sometimes very selfishly it doesn't always feel that good because you sometimes just want to be like gotcha mm -hmm. got you you're wrong all right okay okay i'm done let's um i mean you can let's actually talk add them for another 10 seconds or so while I get back up to the top because I made a note about something I didn't want to forget later. Oh, okay. No, that's fine. Um, we're just actually going to transition into our conversation about what bad faith arguments actually are now that we've talked about good faith exactly. and how, how sometimes it feels good to feel to argue in bad faith. Right. Let's actually kind of get into what arguing or what arguing in bad faith actually like is. Right. Well, I mean, predictably, it, it is the opposite of arguing in good faith. Wow. I know, right? Shocker. Crazy. Instead of everyone coming to the conversation with shared understanding and agreeing on terms, they may come with a hidden agenda or an ulterior motive. The goal is to convince or coerce or dominate the other side into compliance or to make others distrust the other position instead of inspiring trust in theirs, which that's a huge key. If you have to make someone distrust the other side because you can't make them believe in your ideas then that's a really good sign that you're arguing in bad faith. 
kind of an indicator that your idea is also probably not that good. Uh, Arguments made in this way, they don't acknowledge the rights or dignity or concerns or autonomy of the person on the other side. Um, Instead, bad faith arguments seek to undermine those things by presenting the other party or the other position as inherently flawed or morally wrong and demanding that the other party make some change before their position can be heard or considered. A person arguing in bad faith isn't concerned with getting to the best outcome for everyone involved. They're interested in getting to the outcome that serves them the best. So while good faith arguments incorporate persuasion along with evidence and logic, bad faith arguments often replace evidence and logic with persuasive tactics, (laughs) Um, which persuasive tactics are effective But ultimately, they're like cotton candy. They're just worthless. Um, Good faith. That's weird. That's an overstatement. Persuasive tactics are not worthless. They're just not facts. So they don't go a long way towards reaching effective conclusions. I'll put it that way. Effective solutions. So good faith arguments can sometimes fall prey to logical fallacies or cognitive biases unintentionally. Bad faith arguments often rely on these things to seemingly discredit the opposition or make the most compelling case. Um, Instead of seeking agreement or a changed mind, a bad faith argument often only seeks compliance or acquiescence. Um, Arguments made in bad faith, they're kind of showy, they're demonstrative. Uh, They're often devoid of reasonably actionable solutions, like... (laughs) an argument made in bad faith is that you're soft on crime and I'm going to lock every criminal up. That is not an actionable solution. That's, it's just not, Mm -hmm. we already lock up a bunch of criminals. There's still crime and we definitely don't have room for everybody else committing crime. So like, Hmm, not great. Um, But it's also really showy and really demonstrative. I'm hard on crime. I'm tough on crime because I'm going to lock everybody up. Mm -hmm. Right? Big goal. Sounds great. No more criminals on the street. Pie in the sky. Like, it's just, it's impossible. A lot of, um, like, high-level political campaign statements are bad faith arguments like this. Because when, for example, President Biden says he's going to cancel all federal school debt which I don't think he ever said that, you know, specifically. But uh, when somebody makes a claim like that, President Trump says, I'm going to build a wall and I'm going to make Mexico pay for it. Yeah, that's like, yeah, when people make statements and they are outside of their ability to uh, closely control the action that that would take, that's a really good red flag that that is a bad faith argument because they can't alone make that happen and they can't force compliance with that statement don't get it twisted though because sometimes people might be so ignorant that they don't know that what they are going to what they are planning to do is outside of their power right yes and they might still make a statement in good faith thinking that they could do something without realizing that it is impossible which i frankly think trump did a lot i think (laughs) he made a lot of promises that he thought he could follow through on right by himself 
that he could not. Yeah. And actually that, so, that brings up a point that I didn't note in here about bad faith arguments, because we didn't talk about how you can tell a speaker is speaking in bad faith. So there's like an argument that is a bad faith argument, the statement itself, but then there's a speaker who's speaking in bad faith. And one of the indicators of that is someone who is in a position where they should reasonably know what they can and cannot do. They should reasonably have an idea of what is true and false and they don't they are coming to that conversation in bad faith to try to make their their position to try to persuade or convince without having without without taking the initiative to find the best information that is a bad faith approach to an argument right and oftentimes it's they 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 don't try to find the best information for their argument simply because they won't even acknowledge any other perspective right. any other argument it doesn't matter what their argument is because nothing else is true at all. We see this with QAnon. We see this with uh, people who think the election was stolen. Not all of them, but some of them refuse to even entertain the thought that the election was not stolen. And therefore, it does not matter how flimsy their argument is. It doesn't matter that 60 of Trump's challenges in court got thrown out for lack of standing or lack of evidence or just being plain <laughs> crazy pants. Yep. Um, thanks for saving me there. Uh, Technical term, crazy pants. It, 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 it just doesn't matter because it's still they still refuse to believe that they're anything but right. right. And you can see why we and, and all other philosophers and rhetoricians and commentators um, correlate political debate, quote unquote, with bad faith arguments. Watch a debate for these upcoming midterms. I guarantee you the entire thing will be done in bad faith because they're not there to reach a solution. They're there to convince you, the, the viewer, that they're right and the other person is wrong. And usually that takes the form of the other person is wrong. You don't even need to think about whether or not I'm right. Mm -hmm. And they just attack each other. Um, it feels, it feels as though the loudest voices in the room in these debates and in these political just environments, they're all just trying to undermine each other and devalue and discredit each other and manipulate others into taking their side and even worse, they're extending those harms to huge groups of people simply because of a presumed affiliation. So many examples right now. Can't even get into <laughs> them all. But I'm sure, yeah. listener, you are smart enough to think of your own. Um, in fact, I bet you have, in fact, an entire side in mind right now. Uh, one political party or the other, right? It's, it's hard not to think of all the ways that the party you disagree with most fulfills these characteristics. Stop it. <laughs> really hard. Really hard. So hard. Stop it. Here's something to sit with for just a minute. If your initial reaction was to point fingers at one party alone, you've likely been persuaded by a bad faith argument or several from the side that you support. Remember, that's one of the tactics of this kind of argumentation. They convince us that the opposition, whether it be a person, a whole group of people, or an ideological perspective, is so inherently wrong that their perspectives and concerns are not worthy of genuine consideration. 
But when we try to engage each other from that presupposition, our efforts at progress are doomed from the start. I've got to admit, that's how the whole gun violence, gun safety, gun control, whatever term you want to use, conversation feels to me sometimes. It feels doomed to repeat in an endless cycle of bad faith arguments, finger pointing, inaction. But the only way to change things is to recognize the problem, to educate ourselves on how to keep from repeating it, and then to commit to moving forward and having these conversations with each other in good faith. So let's talk about some of the most common bad faith arguments that make their way to the public square after mass shooting tragedies like Buffalo and Uvalde and Tulsa. Oh, um, and quick note about Uvalde or Uvalde. A couple of weeks ago, we mentioned that situation in an episode and we fumbled around for a while about how to pronounce the name of the town. Um, and, And I had heard that locals call it Uvalde and I was kind of intrigued by that. But, you know, it is what it is. Not too long after that, I read a really interesting article from NPR that showed how people's pronunciation of Uvalde and so many other ethnic cities around the United States reflects the complicated dynamics of race and colonialism and immigration and the struggle to fit in that have plagued our country since its founding. Um, I've linked it in the show notes because it's definitely worth a read. But they were talking about how like, even some of the, um, the Spanish-speaking locals use the anglicized pronunciation because it's commonly accepted, it's familiar, and it doesn't make them stand out. But then some reporters would come to the town and then use the Spanish pronunciation because they really wanted to be respectful. And it just is a really uh, great perspective that makes us think about how we say things and, um, yeah, and highlight some of that really crazy dynamic. So let's workshop a little bit, shall we? Yes. Yeah, let's, yes. let's break down a few yes. of these positions and talk about why these uh, statements on gun control or how we manage guns in this country are bad faith arguments and uh, how we can tell that those making the claims are arguing in bad faith. But also, let's be productive here and we'll talk about how somebody could actually have this conversation from a good faith perspective. Like if you believe the premise behind this argument... How can you have this conversation with someone who disagrees, but still do it in good faith? Yeah. Um, practical exercises are my favorite. Same. Let's go. Argument one, and these are common things. You have likely, anybody listening to this has likely heard this argument within the last, I would, I would not be surprised if I could say in the last 24 hours. Yeah, I pulled hours. these all, like, like we pulled these from our social media feeds within the last 24 hours. Yeah. So, um, Argument one, the perennial hit, the only thing that stops a bad guy with a gun is a good guy with a gun. (laughs) So the premise of this argument, pretty obvious, it's right there on the tin. Um, More laws to regulate guns in America won't change the amount of gun violence our country experiences. Instead, the threat of retaliation or the incapacitation of a perpetrator by another person with a gun are the only effective deterrence to gun violence. And this has a lot of forms and facets and different faces. Sometimes you see it as like criminals don't obey the law. Like that's just another version of saying this. The only people who will be disarmed are the good guys. Mm -hmm. Um, And this, this, this will be shocking, I'm sure, to everybody. But it was prominently made by the NRA, um, specifically the executive vice president 
at the time, Wayne LaPierre, after the Sandy Hook massacre in 2012. Not saying it didn't exist before then, but like that's when it got super famous recently. And it has not died out. It's been a part of the the pro-gun lexicon ever since. And as I said, the the language varies a bit from here to there. Uh, Most recently, it's more nuanced a little bit. It's something like we don't need more laws. We need more good guys with guns, um, which is a less on the nose image i think like it's not explicitly bringing to mind just a a teacher straight up like merkin uh, a school shooter from the art room like it's but it's still there um and it's usually paired with statements like um we already have laws that aren't enforced right so we already have gun laws on the books. We just need to enforce the ones we have. Yeah, or even they're mm. pointless. We just need to give more people more guns. Right. Okay. Um, this, this is the train of logic that really leads to bills like the ones in Colorado and Montana and Ohio um, and probably more. I'm shocked Missouri hasn't already done this one that allows teachers that allow teachers, excuse me, to carry firearms in their classrooms. Um But is it a good faith argument? Could this be a good faith argument? And we are just like unnecessarily critical (laughs) of this idea. Are we talking, are we arguing in bad faith right now? Am I the drama? Am I the bad faith? (laughs) Okay, so let's look at that. Uh, I, I posit that this is a bad faith argument and here's why. Right off the bat, it's designed to dismiss the concerns of people who want more gun legislation, just wholly dismiss them. It makes very clear that the only solution to the problem is more good people with guns. And that's bad logic, yes, but it's also a bad faith premise because remember, good faith arguments acknowledge the other side's concerns and dignity while trying to demonstrate that their position is more true. It also uses persuasive tactics like hyperbole and false dichotomy to convince the listener uh, rather than presenting any evidence. Declarative phrases like always, never, only, and ever, or every, are a pretty big red flag for bad faith and also poorly organized arguments because they're so rarely truthful. So rarely is something always or never. There's no way that the only, the single only way to stop a bad guy with a gun is to insert a good guy with a gun. But it sounds like a really confident argument, right? Sounds so confident. Um, Quick definitions. Hyperbole just means exaggeration. Oh, yes. Um, But like big exaggeration. False dichotomy means a a fake assumption that there are only two sides. There are only two choices. Um, if you encounter, you encounter these things, not if, when you encounter both of these things all the time, all All the the time, time. I would posit that you we're using posit a lot. I would posit that you encounter false dichotomies like every day and probably in fact, make several of your own. It's so easy Mm -hmm. to do. There's always more than two options. Try to refrain from simplifying it to that unless it's literally only two options. Right. Um, but it's not because there's always more than two options. That's another thing that Robin mentioned. Always, never, only, every. This is there's just a free fireside. more than two options. 
Unless you're at a wedding, then it's chicken or beef. Only the Sith deal in absolutes. Sorry. What I was getting to was that uh, this is free, free fireside breakdowns relationship advice corner. Always, never, only, every. If you bring any of those words into a dispute with your significant other, <laughs> just go ahead and stop right just there. Stop. You're wrong. Mm-hmm. You're wrong. And that's how you know you're wrong. When those words pop up, just let it yeah. go. I have bit my tongue off several times when I let that word fly. And then I was like, ah, I'm going to go do it. Sorry, babe. That's fair. <laughs> you you got me. Um, so anyway, back to this argument about uh, good guys with guns, right? How can we know that the speaker and the people who amplify or many, many of the people who amplify the message are arguing in bad faith? Well, one good way to tell if the speaker is arguing in good faith is to look at what they stand to gain or lose or how they're connected to the conversation. And now this particular argument came from the executive vice president of the NRA, the National Rifle Association. One of the organizations most heavily vested in protecting access to guns. They make their money off of people being able to buy their own guns. They contribute hundreds of millions of dollars every year to marketing and politics and other organizations that work to increase access to firearms. So yeah, they've, they've got a dog in this fight. Secondly, we can look at the quality of the argument itself. Now, I know that we said that the quality of the argument doesn't determine by itself whether or not it's being made in good faith. Here's out. If it's a poor argument, using verifiably false information, using faulty logic or logical fallacies, if that comes from someone who should have direct access to good information, that's a pretty good indicator that they're choosing not to share that good information. As a person with the authoritative role, for better or for worse, in the NRA, LaPierre has access or had access to all the information he needed to share a sound argument with good statistics to research or research rather to back it up. But instead, he made this very reductive, overly simplistic statement that cannot hold up to examination. Just can't. Mm. Doesn't doesn't sound good for you. Right. Buddy boy. But but if you genuinely believe that the solution to the problem of gun violence in America is more good guys with guns, more people who are willing to use a firearm to defend themselves and other people from people who are using firearms or or any other form of violence, how could you have this conversation in good faith, right? Well, the first thing that you can do, <laughs> number one, is is check yourself and make sure that you are willing to accept that the other side uh, has thoughts, concerns, feelings, right, um, about this topic. Don't dismiss them. But then also lead with data. Base your position on information that discusses how often good guys with guns are able to stop bad guys with guns. Talk about effectiveness statistics for the laws that are already on the books if you believe that they're ineffective. Or discuss how many guns used in violent crimes are obtained outside of the law, right? If you think that these uh, these measures restricting access are just going to make it so that criminals have more access to guns, talk about how many guns come from that kind of circumstance. 
Acknowledge the other person's concern by talking about how many people safely own and use guns in America. Or discuss the benefits of gun laws that already exist and the reasons that we don't need to add more. And then be willing to accept that there is no exclusive solution to this problem. There's more than one way to get there. And explain why you think that this is the best option right now, but also be open to hearing what the other side has to say and be open to being wrong in some of your points. It's the best way to come to this conversation in good faith. All right, argument number two. America loves or America values its guns more than its children. And this one came from the Children's Defense Fund, which sounds like it's a very, it generally is a very reliable organization, but they are an organization with an agenda. And then we also saw this reflected in, um, in an opinion piece and a reflective piece from a journalist, but I've seen it in social media memes and graphics literally all over my feed. And this argument is... It's a common sentiment. It really is, especially after these last few shootings. It's been much more popular. Um, This argument is predicated on the idea that despite the repeated mass shootings that we have experienced in this country, we have seemingly failed to enact meaningful legislation intended to curb the violence. The unending cycle of shooting, grieving, political fighting, and the forgetting until the next shooting proves that America cares more about saving our guns than saving our kids. It also uh, is implies that anybody who is against the idea of enacting new gun safety laws is that way because they value their access to guns more than they value children's lives. They're more interested in protecting right. their guns than protecting their children. And that right there, that gives you a pretty good clue about whether or not this is a bad faith argument. And it, I mean, it is, at least in my opinion, this is a bad faith Mm -hmm. argument. We have right on the surface there a false dichotomy. You either love kids or you love guns and there is nothing and no way to do both. You either have to choose one or the other. Choosing one means you don't love the other as much. Just how it works. Sorry. Ugh. False dichotomy, false dichotomy, red flag, red red flag, flag, red flag. It's an argument that feels like it's taking the moral high ground, though. So it's really persuasive. It's really convincing Mm -hmm. and completely lacking in data. Uh, Not great. It also immediately dismisses the humanity of the person on the other side of the argument. There's no room for nuance or logic or independent thought. It's everybody who doesn't agree with me is a mindless machine that doesn't love kids. They love guns. That's it. That's also bad. There's also another argument, um, or rather, this is another argument that makes the opposing side seem ethically repugnant. Mm -hmm. Like loving guns more than children is to most uh, a completely indefensible mentality. Like children are children, Guns are an inanimate object that can neither return affection nor cure cancer someday or something (laughs) like that. I don't know. There's always that argument when it comes to protecting the children. It's like, oh, that child might be the one that cures cancer. Like, okay. Um, Which is also a bad faith argument. That kind of – it is – oh, yeah. It's definitely a bad faith argument. Uh, Don't get me wrong. Um, 
it just like it automatically casts people who who are against gun regulation as as these monstrous monstrous people or monsters um their thoughts therefore their concerns their beliefs they're not even worth considering so just dismiss them out of hand yeah yeah pretty bad faith argument to me yeah and but can we turn it into a good faith? We line? can. We have, yeah, we can eventually. But another another thing about this argument that really um, drives home that it's a good faith or bad faith argument is that there is no uh, there's no context in which the person hearing this can determine whether which side they fall on. Right. There is no yeah. if you disagree. Like there's no statement that you can say if you disagree with this, then. Right. So. Yeah. America loves its guns more than it loves its children. Well, how do I know which side I'm on? If I like guns, but I also like my children, like it doesn't give a person any way to, um, to locate themselves in the argument. So it forces them to yeah. come down on the side of the thing that feels like it should be more important, which is children. Right. Yeah. It's, it's very much devoid of any, um, anything actionable whatsoever. Right evaluation solution nothing in this is is it, there's no room for discussion yeah. here this is just a brick wall and you are getting ran into it against your will no matter what and so if you come up against this how can you know if the person who is speaking to you is doing so in good faith if the person who is sharing this is doing that in good faith um forgot that part try to transition to the it's wrong okay. part earlier <laughs> like my dear sweet relative your dear sweet relative who shares this graphic on social media right like we don't want to believe that they're trying to make an argument in bad faith but how can you determine what's going on in the person that you're talking to so as always look at who is making the claim if it's my neighbor if it's your neighbor that's one thing to consider. But in this case, we often saw it accompanied by a call to action, right? More regulation, red flag laws, banning AR-15s, age restrictions. The people speaking, the people using this phrase are doing it as an emotional argument meant to enact a change. Um, arguing in good faith usually means working together to reach a solution. But in this case, the people presenting this argument don't seem to have any intent to work with those on the other side. The argument seems designed to convince a third party, us observers, to work with the people who love children to overcome the objections of the people who apparently love their guns more. There's no action that we can take. And then this argument, you know, comes from a person who is convinced that they already have the answer to the problem. They have no need to work with their opponents to reach a middle ground it has no room for listening, understanding, context, or even responding to the other side because you either love guns or love children. So if somebody wanted to have this Appreciate conversation, though, how could they do that in good faith? There yeah. it is. That's the transition I tried to make earlier. So this one's a really tough one to moderate because it hinges entirely on this false dichotomy. How do you approach somebody in good faith in, in truly good faith and say, you must choose one of these two things. And if you choose the wrong one, you're clearly evil, right? Y you can't. It, it gives, <laughs> that gives us the most important part of this answer, how to turn this into a good faith discussion. You have to eliminate the false dichotomy. You just got to get mm -hmm. rid of it. And that's just a general rule of thumb. 
Um, the second step is also to restructure the thought entirely. The core concern here seems to be the belief that the people who are against gun control are so completely detached from reality that even children mean nothing to them in the face of their rights to own a gun, rather. So we'd have to stop and take a moment to really discuss and understand why, despite these horrible tragedies, people choose to defend gun rights. This means accepting their concerns as genuine and, and working to acknowledge that that underlying reality that people are complex and can never be boiled down to any single motivating factor or idea. So you begin to ask a question sort of like, America feels so strongly about the right to bear arms that even these tragedies do not create a change. Why? Yeah, that's the way to do it. You make it, you make it about you. Sometimes I feel like people in America love their guns more than they love their children, right? That takes that dichotomy out of it. It's also important to recognize that sometimes the political system does not reflect the will of the people. A vast majority of Americans are in favor of some sort of gun control reform, and yet the bills continue to fail in Congress. So we need to ask, why don't America's actions on gun control reflect the will of the majority of Americans? What systems are keeping reform from occurring? And then you can approach the conversation that way. But as you can see, this topic is one of those that can very quickly evolve into a much broader conversation about American culture than the bad faith argument that started it. These are just uh, representative examples. There are a lot of ways to take this question, to mutate oh, yeah. it, to change it, to restructure it into a more good faith approach um, to this conversation, to this discussion. So nothing that we're saying here, I... <laughs> We're almost done with the episode, but let me put this disclaimer here. Nothing we're saying here is like exclusive or exclusionary, right? This is not the only answer. Um, let's do one more real quick. I think we can then wrap it up because we're, we're getting pretty deep into the, the time zone here. Um, time zone to the, we're getting pretty deep Where into the episode at, the with respect to time. We're somewhere in the vicinity of like 50, 53 minutes. Somewhere oh, in there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so this final one is uh, very, very popular in especially Springfield. I've heard it all <laughs> the time. If you are a particularly religious yes. person, you've probably heard this literally from your religious leader during a service, whatever that is. And it is gun violence isn't a gun problem. It's a heart or sin or people problem. Which sounds profound. It really does. But I mean, like, you could literally use that for any, any crime <laughs> ever. Sorry. Getting ahead of the put cart before the horse here. So people who make this argument are taking the position that limiting access to guns or implementing new laws is useless because people will continue to harm each other until we find ways to solve the heart of the matter. Is this argument a bad faith argument? Yes. Remember that one tactic of bad faith arguments is to present one side or one subject as morally corrupt and the other side is upstanding. This makes no bones about it. Like there is a morally there is a moral failure in America and that's why gun violence exists. Can't get any more bad faith than that. Um 
In this case, good gun owners are morally upstanding and bad gun owners are corrupt. Again, it's not really necessarily logically defunct because one could make a pretty strong argument that murdering people mm-hmm. is a moral right. failure, right? <laughs> but it puts the emphasis on the wrong thing. It deflects from the issue of gun safety and places the onus on moral adjustment. It also ignores the concerns of gun safety supporters in the same way that the first argument we discussed did. It implies that their position is inherently pointless because people will continue to harm one another no matter what. It ignores key issues like the number of people killed by guns versus the other ways that people harm each other or the efficiency of firearms for killing. Like a lot of the arguments ignore the fact that guns are one of the very few tools, relatively speaking, exclusively designed to kill things. Mm -hmm. That is their sole function. Quickly and effectively. Right. It also, this argument ignores the differences between the kinds of crimes committed with different types of weapons. So under this argument, murder is murder and it's all weighed equally or weighted equally, unless you can stop all of it, all of the murder, all of the gun crime, efforts you make to stop one kind or some of the gun crime are mute. Nope. Moot. (laughs) Did she just say mute? (laughs) It's a moo point. It's a moo point. You know. right? (laughs) It's like a cow's opinion. It doesn't matter. So how can we how can we ask whether or not or how can we address whether or not someone is saying this to us in bad faith? Well, this is the point where we point out that a person can argue in bad faith unintentionally. Right. Um, You can make a bad faith argument in good faith. And I know that that sounds really confusing, but like the argument itself can be a bad faith argument, even if you truly believe it. Um, Oftentimes this comes from people with a religious agenda. Their goal is to bring everyone into the fold of their faith. And so generally this speaker, whoever is saying this is inferring that the only way to solve the problem this whole big problem of gun violence is for you, if you don't already, and everyone else to find their version of God so that we can prevent these tragedies. Like, that's the only solution is you have to adopt my faith. You have to live by the rules of my faith. You have to have whatever conversion experience um, that the speaker is talking about. And so does everyone else, because that is the only way that we will solve this problem. Which is just, I mean, not that we've been getting into counter arguments for a lot of these statements, but come on. <laughs> like how many, how many wars are literally fought because of religion? Right. And not necessarily religion versus religion. You right. Know, like, and, and this kind of, well, uh, and this is, this is where we get into that idea of like uh, the sinful nature of man, right? This is an argument that really actually, according to a lot of the, the faiths that these speakers are coming from, can never be solved until the second coming of Christ, right? So like they're essentially saying there's no point dude. in trying because we will never solve this problem. Just let us have our guns anyway. It is defeatist. Yep. It is defeatist from the right. start. It's not even working toward a mutually beneficial end. 
unless that end is the it's second just, coming of Christ. Yeah. Yeah. And that this that makes this argument particularly um, frustrating to to just hear because you're like, no, these people know that there is no way that everybody's going to become X religion. And yet they're insisting that this is the only solution anyway. Right. And even if mm. you even if you extrapolate so that out to be it being a heart problem or a people problem, right? The only solution is to right. change the hearts, to heal the hearts, to fix all of the people. It's still that same that same solution that is not reasonably actionable. Right. So there's a lot of bad faith going around here. Yes. So how could we how could we make this argument in good faith? How could it be addressed, right? So there are people out there trying to make a version of this point in good faith. There really are. They're bringing the conversation around to topics like mental health, like access to support services, like poverty, violence in the home, bullying, online radicalization, divorce, all key factors that seem to contribute to the propensity for violence including gun violence. I'm not 100% about divorce. I added that one in there without reading the entire sentence. You thought I was going I'm a not different sure place. if it's... Well, yes and no. I actually had no idea where this was going. I was just along for the ride. Um, <laughs> but there are they do argue to address the underlying causes of violence. But they're doing it with without delegitimizing the concern about gun violence overall. They also want to see gun violence decrease, and they believe that these factors are the most important ones to address. And it's funny because while you were talking about while you were talking about the the speaker and whether or not we can determine if they're in bad faith, I was thinking, wow, it would be really easy to take this to the next natural step where we talk about the underlying social safety networks that help reduce violence and do lead to changes in behavior and how people think and act and feel. Exactly. Like if you genuinely believe that solution is not to restrict access to guns, but to heal people's hearts, then this is the way that you have that conversation. You talk about changing all of the things that, that break hearts in such a way that they contribute to violence. A lot of people, I would argue, most people don't resort to crime because they enjoy it. They resort to it because they feel, due to circumstance or uh, upbringing, which would just be generational circumstance, that it's the only solution for them. Yeah. So, address those, address those inequalities. This is thing. These are things that we've been discussing since like episode exactly. one. <laughs> Literally, <laughs> crazy, crazy how these things would change. Um, if you think it's crazy, no, yeah, we have to sum it all up. We have to tell them what we told them. Oh, that's right. Sorry, we're trying to implement this this change. I want to we're trying to bring to make it sure back. We do it because I literally, We'd- yeah, we're trying to re-implement <laughs> this change. I'm the one who actually put the note in this episode to try to do this thing. So. What have we discussed this far, yes. thus far, this episode? Wow, John. Whew. We we talked about what good faith arguments and bad faith arguments are. We really got into the weeds with how they work and how people can 
make a bad faith argument in good faith or make a good faith argument in bad faith or truly believe in something and make a terrible argument, but be completely acting in good faith. How good faith versus bad faith is detached from true or false or any sort of objective measurement of the veracity of the claims. After that, we talked about several examples that come from this discussion on gun control that we are all re-experiencing again right now and how many of these arguments uh, can be restructured and made into productive, good faith conversations that might lead to actual change, exactly. might lead to actual uh, positive results within our country and in our society. Yeah. And then, you know, we kind of all throughout the article, we, we talked about the problem of arguing in bad faith and how it keeps us from, from getting to the best solution together. Um, and then we talked about the benefits of arguing in good faith because, you know, one of the, the nice things about it is that it changes the way that you see the people on the other side of the table. It actually is the thing that makes it possible for us to have hard conversations, difficult conversations with people that we love and care about without losing our respect for them, without, you know, losing our affection for them. And while still continuing to acknowledge that they are good human beings with different ideas. So if we can get to the point where we're having these conversations with each other in good faith, um, then we can probably do the thing that uh, another bad faith argument that fills my social media feed every time that there is a racial inequity that is pointed out is why can't we just talk about all the things that we agree on? Why can't we just focus on what we have in common? Why can't we just love each other and end all the division? If we can have these conversations in good faith, we might actually be able to accomplish that. If you want to talk with us about whether or not we present our arguments in good faith, if you feel that way, um, let us know. We have admonished people to do this since episode one, but let us know what you think about what we've brought to you. You can find our website, www.firesidebreakdowns.com. You can find all of our show notes there where we cite our sources. You can find past episodes, obviously. You can find uh, links to all of our social medias, as well as a link to our Patreon if you think our work is worth throwing a few bucks our way for. We would greatly appreciate it. Um, we would also really, really love it if you would take some time out of your incredibly busy day and leave us a review. Mm -hmm. Tap the five stars on Spotify or iTunes or wherever. Um, that's great. But also a written review goes so mm -hmm. far, so much farther than just giving us five stars. So if you've got the time, we would love it if you would do that for us. Doesn't have to be super duper long. Few words about why you value this podcast can really help bring new listeners in and teach them about good faith and bad faith arguments and hopefully make this world a little bit better yeah. place. All right. You want to talk about us? We'll talk about some yeah, good news. Yeah, I mean, we can kind of tag team the good news we'll a little bit here, I think. Um, our yeah. good news for this week is that uh, the day that we're recording this is Friday, June 10th. Last night was the first airing of the January 6th special committee hearings on literally everywhere um, where... Except Fox. <laughs> they didn't air it. So not literally. I didn't even realize no, that. No, they didn't air it. No, no, no. Yeah, no, they, they allowed Sean Hannity 
to go ahead and have his normal hours. Oh. So yeah, I mean, I'm not surprised, not but that's really interesting. Um, not saying they didn't cover it right. at all, but they didn't, they definitely yeah. didn't air it. Um, and so Big deal. the reason that we're calling this good news is not because we're taking any sort of a position on, you know, the former president or what is coming out of it. We're calling it good news because so for so long, it has felt like Congress in particular, but the United States government has operated behind the scenes. Uh, like the American people don't really get a good idea into what goes on in these uh, committee hearings, even when it's about something as big as the January 6th insurrection. Um, we got an opportunity to watch video that hadn't been aired before that showed in no uncertain terms that could not be manipulated or uh, misconstrued in any way exactly what was going on and what the people who stormed the Capitol were thinking and saying and how they were acting. We got to hear from people who were there, an officer who was injured twice, um, <laughs> and a documentary filmmaker who was embedded with a group of, was it Proud Boys or Oath Keepers? I think he was with Oath Keepers, but at one time... He was with both of them because, as we learned, the Proud Boys and the Oath Keepers met up before Trump's speech to case the Capitol building and to discuss plans. And it's it's on film. Yeah. So that is why this is good news, because for the first time in a really long time, it feels like we've had un biased. And I, I say that hesitantly. What I mean is the first person, the, the first person sources that we're seeing, the primary sources that we are getting access to. Um, we have the opportunity to see those and experience them and come to this conversation with good and solid talking points that are not just what our senator or our local news media or our favorite uh, cable news network has to say about things. We get to watch and make our own determinations. And that's a really big deal. It's a huge deal. Um, they're not over either. The next one's scheduled uh, today, the day this podcast comes out. Um, it's going to be at 10 o'clock in the morning. So if you can't watch that because you're at work, make sure to capture it uh, later. I, We both strongly, strongly, strongly mm -hmm. uh, advise watching it. Even if you've already reached a conclusion about what happened that day, watch yeah. it. It is worth it. And I truly feel this is an event that we need to make sure stays relevant in the public consciousness um, for a while so that they understand the weight of their actions and the importance of making well-thought-out, well-reasoned, rational decisions and paying attention to what they're mm -hmm. doing especially when it comes to elections. And that's all I'm going to say about that so I don't get in trouble at work. <laughs> I will sign us off now. Um, so thank you very much, everybody, for uh, continuing to, to come back week after week, we hope, to listen to uh, the, the, our ideas and thoughts and the research that we have. Um, we, will be back, we will be back in one week uh, from, yes, one week from today, with a, another episode ready for your ear holes. Quick announcement, though. The week after that, we should have a normal episode. 
The week after that, I think it's just going to be Robin and Savannah because I will be indisposed due to work. And then after that, beginning July 4th, uh, Fireside Breakdowns is taking our mid-year hiatus, our break. Um, and then season three will start uh, at some point, either one or two weeks after that. We need to discuss uh, how we're going to address that. I don't know if we've reached right. a final decision on how long our hiatus is going to be. Um, but got to take a, a little sanity break because holy crap, guys, so much, so much yeah. going on. So next week. You'll hear from us. Can't wait. Until that time, take care of each other. <laughs>